cost of leadership. There are sacrifices to be made to be a spiritual leader in any setting. As our author points out, those who lead the church are marked by a willingness to give up personal preferences to surrender legitimate and natural desires for the sake of God. There is a cost, there is a sacrifice, there is a certain commitment that has to be made to walk with the Lord in spiritual leadership. Our author identifies seven principles of identifying cost of leadership. We'll take a look at those here tonight. The first one, number one, is self-sacrifice. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, Jesus said, uh, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus, really not trying to hide anything, not trying to pretend that that discipleship is anything less than a full commitment, he lets his disciples know, listen, if this is your desire, and it's a good desire to come and follow the Lord, but this is the cost. You're going to have to deny yourself, a setting aside of self, self-interests, selfish pursuits, whatever those things may be, whether it be wealth, pleasure, power, self-importance, those things are not going to be compatible with a life of spiritual leadership. Setting aside yourself. You may remember what Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. He would go on to say that this is in fact the very attitude that was found in Christ Jesus. This was his example to us. He did not simply look out for himself. He did not he was not motivated by selfish ambition, but rather he was looking out for the better of others. And this is what God calls us to in spiritual leadership. Now this is different than the leadership in the world. In the world, leadership is all about getting on top, all about pursuing your self-interests. But Jesus was very clear to differentiate leadership in his kingdom. Uh, in, in the world, it's a place oftentimes that people seek because they imagine it to be a place of prestige and privilege. It's seen as an opportunity for power, authority. Men desire leadership for influence, self-importance. But Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them, his disciples, to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the way leadership works in the world. Verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Christian example is clear, whether it's in in Christ himself or any spiritual leader that the Lord used within the scriptures, you find this principle. They have to learn to set aside a self, denying their own self-interests. And we also remember what Jesus said. He said, you know, pick up your cross daily and follow me. 
It's not a once in a once once upon a time thing. It's not like okay, I I made a self sacrificing uh, you know act once in my life and that should suffice. Christ said, "You're going to be picking up your cross every day, not one time, but a lifestyle." And this is why it's going to require walking in the Spirit. It's going to require a daily relationship with the Lord. Christianity is something that has to be sustained through a vital, living, abiding walk with the Lord. It's not an event that happens and then the rest of your life course is set. Yes, it does happen in a moment. When you come to faith in Christ, it begins. But this Christian life is called a walk, a race, uh, an endurance. Uh, You have to run it. You have to walk it. You have to live it out. And it comes to us one day at a time. And every day, decisions have to be made to pick up your cross, deny yourself. If you want to lead others spiritually, if you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to be a leader in your home, in your workplace, if you want to be a discipler of others in the faith, then this is something that has to be embraced, a denying of self and an ongoing daily walk of self-sacrifice. And it's something that's done in faith. It's something that you have to do by faith because it doesn't make any sense to put others in front of above yourself. That doesn't seem like a good idea at all. But in the in the kingdom of God, it actually pays dividends. Jesus said, "Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it." True, powerful spiritual life and living is found in self-sacrifice. This is where the strength of God meets your life. Paul said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. It's backwards. It's upside down. It's it's different than what we intuitively believe and think in our selfish nature in the world. And so to be a spiritual leader is not to, uh, you know, work your way up the ladder at the expense of others, but it's rather learning how to serve and humble yourself. And it's done in faith. You know that if you will humble yourself, God will exalt. God will use your life. You don't want to be trying to lead in your own strength. You want what God is going to accomplish and do. So you do this in faith. You trust God that the real way up in the kingdom is down. Jesus said it was for the... or The the writer of Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before Him, Christ endured the cross. Christ endured the cross in faith. For the joy that was set before him. This is, this is how we, we, we can walk in this on a daily basis, is believing that it's, it's for the Lord. And God is going to use it to further his kingdom. God is going to use it to fashion something in my character. God is going to use it to make my life more fruitful in the kingdom. Paul would say this in Philippians 3, Yet indeed I also count all things lost, For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul did not regret those sacrifices that he made. He did not resent having to give up some of his ambitions, some of his dreams, some of his career goals. He said, no, I count those things as nothing compared to to what I have found in the service of Christ. And this is how it's done, by faith. Believing and trusting in God, that as you humble yourself, spending a lot of time here on self-sacrifice, because I think this is the foundation 
for a lot of the other things we'll talk about here tonight. There's a quote from Jim Elliott, the famous missionary and martyr. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so this self-sacrifice, it's done in faith. It's done knowing and trusting that as I give of myself, God will use my life and bless my life and empower my life for His service. The second cost that comes with spiritual leadership, as our author points out, is the cost of loneliness. Loneliness. You see this in a lot of biblical leaders. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 1.15, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. If you study the life of the men that God used in the, in the Scriptures, you will find uh, that there is a certain loneliness about them. There is a certain uh, solidarity, a, a kind of having to run solo during seasons of their life and in their ministry. Certainly Jesus. When you think of Jesus in the garden, couldn't even get his disciples to stay awake to pray with him. Of course, he faced the cross all alone. Whether it's Moses, so many of the prophets. Think of Jeremiah's ministry. You know, all those years ministering. And God said, I'm going to make your forehead like a stone because you're going to need it. They're not going to listen to you. You're not going to be popular. Your ministry's not going to be well received. But this is what I've called you to do. A willingness to be lonely is something that a minister, a leader sometimes has to be willing to embrace. A good friend of mine, he's a, an assistant pastor down in uh, Calvary, at a Calvary Chapel down in Tustin. And I've known him for a long, long time. And he's, he's a bit older than me and was something of a mentor for me many, many years ago. And I was just a young, young, young guy and he was a little more mature in the Lord. And he said this to me and it stuck with me. He said, you know, Richard, the longer you walk with the Lord and the closer you follow Him, the thinner the crowd that you travel with becomes. And that is so true. Uh, the, 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 the harder you press in towards the Lord and really look to, to be a true disciple of the Lord, you find that the crowd is thinner and thinner. You want to be a marginal Christian, kind of a lukewarm boy? There seems to be a pretty good group of numbers in that category. But as you press toward the Lord... The crowd grows thinner. And so to be a spiritual leader, there has to be a willingness, a, an understanding that there will be seasons of loneliness. I, I like what our author said. He said this, Because the leader must always be ahead of his followers, he lives with a particular loneliness. Though he may be friendly, there are areas of life where he must walk alone. Though he may seek counsel and support from others, Decisions come back to the leader alone. It is just a spiritual reality, and there will be times that you will have to walk alone with the Lord. There will time there are going to be times when you have to get alone with the Lord. Others will not be able to sustain you, others will not be able to kind of prop you up. You're going to have to walk with the Lord, and He will lead you. And you're going to have to learn to depend on Him, and, and the Lord is going to have to be enough for you. And we thank the Lord for fellowship, and there is something to be gained, and that, that will always be a part of our spiritual journey. But there will, I believe that God will always weed you out to a place where you are alone with Him, where He can really refine your heart, where you really learn to trust and depend on Him alone. 
We don't seek it. It's not something we want or necessarily desire to be lonely. But it is, it is a part of the Christian journey. And it's certainly a part of those that would come into leadership. Number three, another cost of spiritual leadership is fatigue. You're going to get tired. <laughs> There's going to be work in the kingdom. Paul said this to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. He said, But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. The Apostle Paul, is you kind of hear it, hear it in his, his thoughts here towards his, uh, you know, disciple Timothy. Timothy, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to do the work. It's, there's going to be hardship. Look, my life has already been poured out. I have, I've just about spent my life entirely for the work of the kingdom. And I, I, my time of departure is at hand. Now the baton is passed to you and you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to uh, spend your life for the kingdom. Again, just quoting from our book, the spirit of the welfare state does not produce leaders. If a Christian is not willing to rise early and work late to expend greater effort and diligence, study and faithful work, that person will not change a generation. Fatigue is the price of leadership. Mediocrity is the result of never getting tired. You want to never be tired? You want to never be fatigued? Then you're going to be settling for something less than what God would have for you and what God is calling you to. Now listen, this is not a striving in the flesh. This is not us trying to work the kingdom of God as if God needs our sweat to get anything done. That's not what this is. It's, it's more of a cooperation with the call of God upon your life. And He's going to put you to work. Isn't that what Jesus said? The fields are white for harvest, but the workers, laborers, are few. Pray your Father would send out workers into the harvest. Laborers. Ministry is work. Again, you're working in conjunction with the Spirit of God. He's going to give you strength. He's going to direct your steps. But you are going to pour out your life. And that's what Paul said. My life's been poured out. And he encourages Timothy, pour your life out. What else are you going to work hard for? What else are you going to get tired doing? But for the Lord, for the kingdom of the Lord. Now, there's a saying. You've probably heard me quote this. I've said it before. I don't know where it comes from, but it, it's, it goes like this. We do get tired in the ministry we do not get tired of the ministry. Because God refreshes. God will strengthen you. You will have seasons of being fatigued, worn out, spent, overwhelmed. But God will refresh you. You're not tired of ministry like, i got to quit, it's too hard. But i gotta, I got to rest, i got to recover so that God can use my life again. And, uh, you know, be careful. I think I've been guilty over the years. There have been times I think I've, I've complained about fatigue. You know, like, oh man, I'm just exhausted, I'm worn out. You know, it's kind of like, quit, quit whining about that. You know, what do you expect? That's part of ministry. Not just ministry, but that's life. Especially as men. Guys, we're, we're workers. We're called to work. We're called to lead. We're called to support and provide. God's called us to a life of, you know, effective work. And this is, this is this, your life that you have. Spend it for the Lord. Live it. Pour it out. Work hard. Be diligent. 
the Lord will refresh you. Don't find, don't find yourself complaining about that. Being, be thankful that God is filling your life with uh, such opportunity to serve Him, to lead others, to minister. Now again, don't get caught up in the flesh. Don't try to do it in your own sweat and effort. And don't get overextended trying to do something that isn't even what God maybe has for you. But don't be afraid to work hard in those things that God would set before you. The Lord will refresh you. Then that's what the Bible says. We know that passage out of Isaiah. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, right? What a wonderful promise. But think about it. That promise comes to, to, to us, and it's meaningful because, I mean, why would you need to be renewed if you never got tired? The whole point is, you're going to need times of waiting on the Lord, and He will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings of eagles. God will refresh your life. But the whole promise comes on the assumption that there will be times when your life is spent and fatigued of strength. And you wait on the Lord and He will refresh you. Number four, another cost within ministry is is the cost of criticism. Again, I quote often here from our book, I think our author really identifies some Good truth here. He said, no leader lives a day without criticism. And humility will never be more on trial than when criticism comes. Boy, if you don't like criticism, you better not look to be a spiritual leader. Because it comes with the territory. It comes with uh, the, the calling. There are going to be others that criticize. It can come from friends. It can come from family. It can come from brothers and sisters in the Lord, inside, outside the church. Criticism will come against spiritual leaders because that's the way we are. That's the way men are. They criticize. That's and I say men and women. That's that's the the fallen nature of man is to criticize. And who are they going to criticize? Well, the easy target, the guy that's out there leading and doing it all wrong, he's the best target to criticize. They're not going to criticize somebody that's not doing anything, not leading. I mean, they're not on anybody's radar. But once you start to walk in a sense of spiritual leadership and purpose and direction, trust me, you'll find criticism. It cannot be prevented. If you don't want it and can't handle it, then you're not going to be able to pay the price of spiritual leadership. Now, I like what he says here. It's an opportunity for humility um, to really be um, produced in your life. And this is not an easy thing to do. And I will confess that I, I struggle with this because certainly I do receive my share of criticism. But I think the what God would have us to do because it can't be stopped. You can't snuff it out. You can't run and defend yourself every time criticism comes. You, that's just a waste of time. But I think rather, allow it to be an opportunity for self-examination and real searching of your own heart. You know, I have found that even in those that have unjustly criticized me, there have been some nuggets for me to kind of discern things about my own life and character and ministry that could be improved upon. I had a brother who, um, he was very critical. Um, he, he, does no, he no longer attends here, but in the early years of the church, he was attending. And uh, he would send me letters, critical letters, critical emails. 
Then he wanted to meet regularly so he could criticize the things that he felt were going wrong. And I mean, it was everything. I wasn't, I wasn't praying properly. At that time, I was leading worship. I wasn't doing that right. I was, you know, shouldn't have done this and that. And then my teaching was imbalanced. It wasn't really providing the proper balance between law and grace. And I mean, he just had a lot of critiquing of everything that was going on. And he would, and he wanted to send me email. Now, this was a brother who was troubled. Uh, he, in his, his own life, his own marriage was falling apart. He was struggling with drug addiction, alcoholism, and yet he felt very, you know, bold to uh, wanted to actively, you know, he thought he was helping me. He really did. And it kind of got to the point where I finally just had to say, you know, I just don't think that this is fruitful for you it, it morphed into not just and then he wanted to start criticizing my wife and and and, and what she was doing and not doing and uh, just some of it was petty and silly and it, it just become came one of those things where look we i just we can't keep meeting with you for this this is this is just not of the lord and uh shortly after that he uh, he left the church but i have to say and it was a it was a difficult kind of a relationship to say the least but i have to say I, I i did spend some time and i went back over some of the letters that he wrote some of the emails that he sent and you know i thought lord there is some there's some validity here there are, there are some things that i can certainly receive and allow my own heart toward ministry to embrace it wasn't like it was all just you know ranting of some you know hard-hearted guy there was some sincere you know thought that he'd put into what he was saying and so i was i was able to let the lord use it in my heart in my life and it's some of the things are still with me some of the things specifically i could still remember and i i think about them as you know part of my ministry approach so i think that that's that's the way, the best way to handle criticism is to allow it to minister where it needs to, if it needs to, but don't let it destroy you. Don't let it condemn you to a place where you, you know, you're just not able to function in ministry. And don't get defensive and don't get uh, cynical and bitter and, and, and resentful because that can injure you also. Recognize that it's something that will come. Recognize that it's something God can use, but ultimately you have to have a strength in the Lord, and you have to be uh, recognize that you know what you're doing is what God is calling you to do, and you're doing it to the best of your ability. Paul said this in First Corinthians chapter four, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul said, look, because the Corinthian church had some critical things to say of the Apostle Paul. He said, you know, you're not really the final authority over my ministry and, and my life in faith. And even myself, even though I'm not aware of anything against myself, even even that does not necessarily acquit me. Ultimately, I've got to live my life before the Lord. And we have to do the very best that we can sincerely unto the Lord. And criticism, some of it may come and be justified, some of it may be completely unjustified. But ultimately, 
it's worth examining your heart before the Lord because He's the one that has called you. He's the one that's entrusted ministry and leadership to you. And sometimes you just have to do your very best and move forward. Do the best that you can and go forward. Look, I believe this is what God's called me to do. I believe this is what God's called us to do as a family. I just, in my heart, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the best that we can. We're not perfect. No leader is. No pastor is. No no spiritual ministry leader, discipler. Uh, all of us are just, you know, weak and, and frail. But we must do the best that we can. As the saying goes, do your best and commit the rest. But recognize that criticism... It comes with the territory of spiritual leadership. Number five, rejection. Rejection. Jesus was rejected. Could you expect much more for yourself? John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, hopefully this is not, uh, you know, doesn't happen all the time and throughout the entire Uh, life of ministry and service, but it is going to be part of what goes on in your life as a spiritual leader. Not everyone is going to receive your leadership. Not everyone is going to accept those things that you believe God's called you to do and your ministry or your serving. And, And, you know, not everyone's going to be able to walk with you. Some you're going to lose friends if you serve the Lord in spiritual leadership. Uh, There are going to be relationships that change as you follow the Lord. It just comes with the territory. Again, you're not looking for it. You're not trying to make those things happen. But the truth is, there will be some that simply reject the path that you're choosing to live for the Lord. They will reject your attempt to minister to them. Have you ever had that happen? in your very best effort, your most sincere motive, trying to minister, trying to help, and and they get so sick of you trying to minister and help, they just say, leave me alone. Get out of my life. Get, I'm not interested. I don't want it. They completely reject the very good intention of love and ministry and help that you want to bring. What are you going to do? Well, you have to recognize it. it it's the cost. It's part of... Living for the Lord. There will be seasons, there will be times, individuals who simply reject you. Paul said again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. This was a man who at one time must have served with Paul, must have been a blessing to Paul, must have been a partner, a co-laborer in ministry. But now... He's forsaken me. He's rejected the ministry. He's gone back and pursued the things of the world. There are times when people have left the church rejecting the ministry. Uh, It's just part of the program. Again, we don't want it. We're not insensitive to it. It's not like, oh, well, who cares? But but it's it's just the reality. It hurts. Um, You remember Jesus? He wept over Jerusalem. Right? Well, he said, Would you, how I wanted to gather you as chicks under my wing, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you would not. You rejected me. It broke his heart. And it breaks the heart of those that want to be a blessing spiritually and, and minister. It, it hurts. It's not like we're, these, knowing these things don't make you insensitive to them, but it helps you to weather them because you know it's just part of 
following Christ. It's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a, being a participant in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said, if they hate me, don't you know they're not going to like you either. To follow Jesus, there are costs. And to be a spiritual leader and disciple of Christ, rejection is part of it. Number six, pressure and perplexity. Pressure and perplexity. 2 Corinthians 4 eight. we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Paul, in his ministry, in his spiritual leadership as an apostle, experienced times of being hard-pressed on every side. That's pressure. And yet he wasn't crushed. And he was perplexed, but not in despair. This comes with spiritual leadership as well. Our author quotes Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China. It says of him in his younger days, things came so clearly, so quickly to him. But now, as I have gone on and God has used me more and more, I seem often to be like a man going along in a fog. I do not know what to do. Again, you you kind of think that if you're serving the Lord... And really walking in the, uh, you know, as a disciple and wanting to be the spiritual leader in, in, in those things that God has entrusted to you. You'd like to think that you'll always have clear vision and direction. You know, that God will always make the path so crystal clear before you. Because after all, you're trying to do His work. You're trying to do His ministry. The least He can do is tell you where you're going. <laughs> but it doesn't always work that way. Paul said we were perplexed. But we're not in despair. There are seasons in ministry in your Christian life where you're going to be under, you're going to feel pressure. And there's going to be perplexity. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to know what to do. You know, I was thinking just about our church here. And you guys know, we, we've, I've kept the congregation as kind of gone through this together. This whole, this whole building situation that we're in. I mean, we are here on a month-to-month lease. And for four years, I have been trying to get out of that situation. To get some kind of a long-term lease with the city, to get some kind of a purchase opportunity. You know, and, and for four years, the Lord has simply not changed that dynamic. And it seems so crazy to me. I mean... You know, we're here, we're, we're moved in, we're building, we're doing things, God is working, and yet, for whatever reasons that God Himself knows, He has not allowed us to know a certain future concerning this property or concerning where we will ultimately gather as a fellowship. He just is not allowing that. And so I ha- we just have had to learn to live in that state of perplexity and oftentimes feeling the pressure of it. Now I know in time, and already, you know, we can see already that God has used it in our lives and used, certainly used it in my life as a pastor and in the life of the congregation. We've had to walk by faith. We've had no choice. And yet it is... It's not a most comfortable position. We'd much rather have that kind of stabilized and that problem solved and that issue kind of behind us. But for the Lord's reasons and His alone, 
He's not allowing that. And it causes us to draw near to Him. It causes us to pray. It causes us to stay dependent upon Him. Because God has not given us that full direction and every you know, step you know, planned and the road map clear before us. Keeps us on our knees. Keeps us where we need to be. Depending on Him. Looking to Him. Not getting comfortable. Not getting self-sufficient. Not feeling like we've accomplished anything. We're, we have to trust the Lord. And so this is part of spiritual leadership. There will be times when ministry, direction, vision is lacking. I like, you know, that encouraged me to hear Hudson Taylor. I seem like I'm a man in a fog. I don't know what to do. That's exactly how I feel sometimes. You're the pastor. What's your vision? What's your 10 year plan? Well, I'll let you know as soon as the fog clears. Right now, I haven't got a clue. Trust the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to keep doing what He's given us to do and be faithful with the things He's entrusted to us. But there will be times uh, when you just don't have all the answers. And that comes with the territory. Number seven, and finally, in this cost of leadership, we have to recognize that there is a cost to others. I quote here from Luke chapter 9. Jesus said this, verse 57, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This man was very uh, sincere, I believe. He wanted to follow the Lord, a true love for Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. No one says that. It just, you know, haphazardly. He felt this. He, I want to follow you. You're, I want to be in the ministry with you, Jesus. And Jesus is letting him know, listen, it's, there's a cost. And, and not just the cost for Jesus, the spiritual leader, but he's letting, you know, if you're going to walk with me, the, the co-laborers, there's a cost there. And, and, and so we have to understand that as we serve the Lord, as we go after the Lord in, in this kind of an endeavor, that there will be a cost to others around us. Families have to make adjustments if you're going to serve the Lord in the fullness of what He may be calling you to do. Think about children that grow up out in the mission field. That's a cost, isn't it? Now, it's a great blessing. There's so many wonderful testimonies of kids that have uh, grown up in the mission field. In fact, they're some of the most grounded and spiritually uh, stable and vibrant people I've met in my lifetime. I can remember meeting children of missionaries, and they're just they're wonderful. But there is a cost. There are certain privileges that have to be let go of. There are certain sacrifices that have to be made, not just by the spiritual leader, but by those who the Lord connects him with. It can be family. Now, you don't want to have your family suffer. You, don't, you have to be sensitive in ministry. You have to tend to the needs of your family. In fact, Paul would say that a man who desires to be a leader, a bishop, an overseer, let make sure that he manage his household well first. Ministry at home is first. Then let him come and serve in the house of God. So it's not to the neglect of those around us, but there is a recognizing that as we pursue the Lord as spiritual leaders, others around us, whether it be friends, whether it be family, or even co-laborers in ministry, 
there will be a cost involved. And that's what Jesus is saying straight up to this man who says, I'll follow you wherever, that's fine. But just so you know, this is what the road looks like. It's not always convenient. And co-laborers, those that would come alongside in ministry and and assisting others in ministry, they need to understand the cost as well. And that's just part of it. You know, we're in this thing together. You can't, uh, you know, you can't sugarcoat it. You can't pretend that to serving the Lord is just going to be all downhill. It's not. Cost of spiritual leadership. Moving on now, our next chapter, our author goes into the responsibilities of leadership. So there's a cost, those things that must be sacrificed, but then there's also a charge, those things that must be done. The responsibilities of leadership. And of course these things overlap to some extent. Responsibility number one is service. Service. Jesus, once again, is our example. The Son of God became the servant of God in order to do the mission of God. And that's our call as well. You may remember Jesus after he washed the feet of his disciples. He did it as an object lesson, an example for them. And he said so in John 13, verse 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then he says in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I like that. It's more than just knowing these things, but the blessing comes if you will do them. And what was it that he did? He served his disciples. He washed their feet. An act of service, an act of humility, an act of just ministering to them, loving them, loving on them. A tender touch of His kindness toward them. Serving. And Jesus said, it's not just good to know them, it's good to do them. A good leader is a good example. Disciples are called to be servants, and if we're going to disciple others, we've got to be servant leaders. There has to be a willingness to serve, a willingness to minister. I remember when I first started getting really serious about ministry, at the time, I was in serving in the worship ministry and really beginning to feel like, you know, this God's really got a calling on my life toward ministry and was really getting active and serving and assisting as a pastor as well. And um, But I was busy. I'm telling you, I had work. I had four kids we were raising and coaching soccer, and I was really stretched. Well, what happened was I started as I was leading worship. Well, then people in the church that were getting married and having different events and things, they wanted me to come and Tony and I, you know, come and do the music at their at their wedding, at their memorial service, and and I just got to where I felt like, man, I can't, I can't do all this, you know. And I really, my, and the Lord had to really correct my heart. I really became became resentful for people asking me, you know, no, I can't, I can't, I would, you know. I remember going to, to, to the pastor. I said, you know, what can I do to get these people to quit asking me to do these things? And he just laughed. He said, well, there's not much. You'll just have to tell them whether you can or whether you can't. You know, and he just kind of chuckled at me. And I went away like, it's not, this is not funny. <laughs> but the Lord had to just, you know, let that work through my heart and and, you know, the reminder, you know, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. 
It's a privilege to be able to bless somebody with whatever gifting God has given to you. Now, it may be practically that you can't do every service and do every wedding and every event, but listen, the ones you can, this is the Lord speaking to me now, the ones you can, I want you to do them, and I want you to do them because it's a privilege and an opportunity for you to bless. And so we signed up for as many as we could, and they did turn out to be blessings. You know, there's something about that, that, that special day, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a memorial service. When, you, when the Lord gives you an opportunity to minister into that time in someone's life, there's a very special connection. You realize how important that ministry is in that moment, you know, for that day, that special event. It's a, it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event for, for a family, for a couple, for, you know, a situation, and then God gives you this chance to be a blessing there. People never forget that. People remember that connection. Oh, you sang at my wedding. I still see people. I raised one of those guys. Hey, you sang at our wedding renewal vows, you know. They could still remember. If they asked me and Tony to do the song once in a while, of course, I can't play and sing it as well as I could then. But, you know, it's, there's a connection that's made. And so the Lord turned it around and it became a blessing. But if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you're going to have to serve. You're going to have to ask God to give you that grace and that help and that strength to be a blessing and to serve. The second responsibility is applied discipline. Again, I quote from our author, the effectiveness and longevity of any Christian society requires godly and loving discipline to maintain divine standards in doctrine, morals, and conduct. Leaders preserve the standards standards through loving discipline. This might be the most unwelcomed responsibility in spiritual leadership when you have to confront a situation, when you have to bring loving discipline into a situation. This is not what anybody looks forward to, but it is part of spiritual leadership. It cannot be dismissed. It cannot be left undone. The ministry will suffer whatever... Uh, the family will suffer. Whatever situation God has entrusted to you, if you're not willing to be that disciplinarian in, that, in, the, in the case that God has placed you there, then that ministry, that family, that situation suffers because it's required. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's how it's done. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's to be done lovingly, it's to be done gently, it's to be done in a spirit of restoration. Restoration is always the motivation, but it has to be done. You can't, you can't let things go uh, unaddressed when they need to be done, and, and the job falls to the spiritual leaders. If the spiritual leaders don't step up, things won't get dealt with, and the whole body will suffer. So it is part of the responsibility for leadership. Number three, guidance. Guidance. Providing guidance to those that you are leading. 
Our book says this, the leader cannot assert his will recklessly. And I would say amen to that. You know, guiding doesn't mean controlling. Guiding doesn't mean, you know, you're in charge and everybody does what you say. Guidance means kind of a gentle guiding. <laughs> kind of like, you know, when you, when you teach your kids how to ride a bike and you kind of run behind them, it doesn't mean you hold on to the bike and control the whole thing. They'll never learn. But it does mean as you let them go, you're still kind of there guiding and helping them stay on balance. It's this gentle, caring, loving, trying to help people live their lives in the right direction and providing that guidance. Now, you have to be careful. There's a balance here because you don't want people to end up depending upon you for all their decisions, for all you know their, all the direction that they need in their life. Part of the, the role in spiritual leadership, I believe, in providing guidance is turning people to the Lord. That's my guidance. That's my counsel for you. Pray. I'll provide some biblical principles, but then I want to be directing people to the Lord. That's the best guidance you can give anyone. Get them praying. Have you prayed about it? Have you and your wife prayed about it? Have you guys have you have you been waiting on the Lord concerning this? No, no, I just wanted to tell you what do you think I should do? Well, I think you should pray. I think you should seek the Lord. Well, what would you do? I'm not telling you what I would do because that may not be what God wants you to do. Some people just want you to kind of be the quick answer man for them, you know, what should I do? And oh, you know, they feel like okay, that's that's better than what I might be able to come up with and they trust you and that's good, that's a blessing, but You don't want people to become dependent on that. People need to learn to seek the Lord. And you have to direct them to the Lord. Give them biblical principles. Point them to verses that apply so that they can discern, you know, the spiritual issues at, at hand. But then, you know, people have to seek the Lord. People have to seek the Lord. Uh, this is a story Jeff Johnson, pastor down at Calvary Chapel Downey, he shared with us pastors and it stuck with me. He was going through a real tough situation in his church. It was kind of a little mini church split. This was many, many years ago when, when he was still just kind of coming up in ministry. And, you know, he found out about it and he didn't know what to do and he was just panicked. He thought, oh my gosh, i I got to go talk to Pastor Chuck about this. He says, I drove down there Sunday after service and Chuck was just finishing up his service. He, they were still meeting in the tent at the time. And he, I, said, I walked up to him and I said, Chuck, Chuck, i got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. And he was just finishing up and praying for people. What, what, what? Oh, I got this going on in my church and this people are saying this about that. And Chuck, Chuck, he says, I'll never forget. Chuck looked at him. He says, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I, I got my own ministry here to take care of right now today after service, you know. Go back and pray and work it out. And, and Jeff said, ah. I was I was like I was shocked. I was dumbfounded. My pastor was just leaving me in the cold. But he said, "You know what? It was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to turn to the Lord, not run down to have somebody else come solve my problems. I needed to pray. I needed to get on my knees. I needed to find out what God had for us in that situation and trusting the Lord." And that became a lesson for him. And I, I think that's good guidance as well. Don't always think you have to have the answer. Sometimes you just need to point people to the Lord. That's always the right answer. That's always good counsel. Don't just give your opinion. 
That sometimes is the worst thing that you can give. Give the Word of God and point people to the Lord. Let me say it again. Give the Word of God and point people to the Lord. If your opinion is in complete alignment with the Word of God, offer it. But don't just start giving your opinions out when, you know, unless it's something that God has really directed you to do and to give. Number four, and finally here, uh, one of the things, one of the responsibilities for spiritual leadership is initiative. Initiative. I like this one. I, this is um, this is good. This is good for all of us guys. If we want to be spiritual leaders, you got to have some initiative. Um, again, I you know Chuck Smith. He he would call these things ventures of faith. Taking a step of faith. Yeah, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, I, well, let's, we'll find out. I was so blessed at the uh, memorial service down at the uh, Honda Center there in Anaheim uh, with some of the pastors that got up and shared just their personal uh, love and some of the stories of Pastor Chuck. And uh, Don McClure, it really stuck out to me because he said, you know, Pastor Chuck was a risk taker. And he, you know, he said he just took risks on these young guys that were just hippies and didn't know what they were doing. He was putting them into ministry. He took risks on various you know, properties. They, they buy properties and try to start a ministry. He was, just, he was a risk taker. But it was prayerfully done. It wasn't foolhardy. It was prayerfully you know, steps of faith, ventures of faith. And I like that. I, that stuck with me. Lord, that, you know, that's, that's initiative. You know, that sense of what does God want to do? God wants to work. God wants to work in your life. That's what, That we know. God wants to work through your life. The question is, what does He want to do? It may be that you have to take some steps of faith to discover that. If you're just sitting waiting for God to come in with, you know, all the, the plan and all the resources and all of the, you know, and you just go... You know, go do it, you know, as He's prepared everything. It doesn't work that way. God looks for faith. God gives you a sense, a direction. A, he sets a little opportunity before you, and then you got to step out, venture out in faith. And a spiritual leader is willing to do that. You're willing to take a risk on, on people that some others maybe have given up on. But you're willing to take a chance with them. Entrust something of yourself to them. Give them a little responsibility, something small in ministry. Let them know that God loves them. God's got a plan for them. They're useful. They can be useful in the kingdom. Ventures of grace, I would say. Taking chances in the Lord. We'll close with this verse out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. In verse 6, I'm going to give you a little background before we read it. Uh, Jonathan is kind of ventured away from the camp. The nation of Israel is fighting with the Philistines, right? One of those typical things that was going on in the Old Testament. So often they were fighting and battling the Philistines. And Jonathan and his armor bearer venture off and they stumble upon this garrison of Philistines. And it's just him. He's away from them. He doesn't have all his troops and it's just him and his armor bearer. And this is, but, but he thinks to himself, you know what? It's no coincidence that I've come up and snuck up on them. They don't know I'm here, and there, there they are. Maybe God is delivering them into my hand. Maybe God is going to give me a victory here. 
how will I know? I'm going to have to venture out in faith. Here's what he says in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. I like that. It may be. We don't know. We can't be sure. But it may be that the Lord wants to work today. It may be that the Lord wants to give me a victory here today. Because God is not limited. God doesn't need me to go and get more troops to win a battle. God can deliver with many or with few. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. It may be that I've come upon this opportunity, that I'm here at this moment for such a time as this. It may be the Lord wants to work. Now, if you read that story, and I suggest it's a good kind of homework, go home and read that story. He doesn't just foolheartedly go charging off against the garrison. He sets up kind of a little test you know, for himself and for the Lord to really show his hand. And you can read the story to find out. He, he, he doesn't just commit himself completely, but he takes a step of faith. And he puts himself at risk, not completely, but enough to where God can then show and reveal, go for it or retreat. And sometimes that's what's, what initiative is about. Taking a step of faith, not not getting yourself overly committed to something that where you can't retreat in case God's not in it, because you don't always know. But that initiative of, let's, let's try this. You see this in, in different, uh, even in Jesus, in, in ministry, and, and the way God worked even in the Old Testament through the various prophets. It seemed, have you ever noticed He's always seemed to be working differently? There wasn't this set pattern, you know? The prophets all had kind of a different way and different types of miracles that God did. And even Jesus in the way that He healed. Sometimes He did it this way, sometimes He did it this way. You know, it seems that God kind of mixes it up a little. And I think sometimes we just need to mix it up. Step out of the comfort zone. Do something different. Take some initiative. See what God wants to do. We know He wants to work. And, you know, look for those things. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Don't cook something up. But look for those things that God has set before you and take a step and venture of faith. All right, let me close us in prayer. And then we'll just spend a little time praying for one another. Father, we do thank You for... Just some excellent principles, Lord. I really enjoyed these two chapters, God, and just found so much of my own life in ministry in these pages. And so true are these principles. And God, I would pray that you would minister them into all of our hearts. Something of your leadership truth for us, Lord, as men... We're all called, in some degree, to be spiritual leaders, discipling others, leading others, witnessing, ministering, serving. And so, God, I pray that these principles would settle in our heart and become something of a foundation for us as we serve you and as we walk in the leadership that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, for this time of study. May your word bear much fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.